Uh, the rest of you can open up to Psalms right in the middle of your Bible, and that's where we will be this morning. We're in a series uh, called Songs for Every Season, and it's designed to sort of immerse ourselves in the poetry and wisdom that exists here in the book of Psalms. Uh, last week found us in the cold of winter, and I had someone say this morning how excited they were that we were in spring this morning. Psalm 74, just listen to this, you don't need to turn there yet, but Psalm 74 says this. It says, you have fixed all the boundaries of the earth. You have made summer and winter. Psalm 74 is a complaint psalm. It's a song of lament. And yet right in the middle of a complaint of winter, there's this anchor that can go down and hold deep Because we understand that God is in control, that God is faithful, that God is good, that God sees us, that God knows what time it is, that God made both summer and winter. The world that we inhabit is itself an ongoing illustration. It's like a living classroom. Our good, good teacher has woven truth into creation, showing us who he is, teaching us who we are, and even showing us the kinds of activities we should be doing. We've been singing this already, but consider the cycle of the seasons. A couple of weeks ago, I just so happened to have my Bible open, and you can't read that, but I can. Uh, So I'll just let you know some of what it says. But I had my Bible open, and the little headings over each of the different psalms just sort of leapt off the page to me, showing me that uh, that there are different seasons and that there are different songs for the different seasons. So there are things like, I will bless the Lord with my whole heart unless the Lord builds the house. But there's also headings that say, I have been afflicted from my youth. So just the song titles on a random open page of the Psalms shows us what we know to be true if we are even halfway observant about our external world. Nothing is more obvious than the fact that seasons change. Anyone experienced some heat yesterday? Yeah? So we get that. That's summer. That's normal. That's typical. We get that the seasons change. So it is in our inner world. We have these seasons that we go through. And this series has been about calling attention to that, just highlighting this reality. As we've been singing this morning, uh, sometimes songs fit even better after the whole sermon is complete than when Rob and I talk about them early on in the week, and this week was no exception. Just the idea that there's this parade of praise that is happening all around us all the time in different seasons. It's led by trees and birds and open, open spaces, and in the spring season, it's bursting with wildflowers. Consider the stars. Some of you will go to some remote places this summer, perhaps, and you'll look up and some of your kids will wonder, what are those things? And you'll say, kids, those are stars, because we can't see them in the, in the city lights, right? And they had no idea there were so many, and then you hand them binoculars, and they, they just marvel at what's going on up there. Consider the sheer abundance of stars. We just saying that its impact is far beyond the Milky Way. So many stars that most human eyes will never see the vast majority of stars that exist. And it speaks to the character of God. 
It speaks to the vastness of who he is. It's amazing as we read our scriptures to think that one of those stars God orchestrated to act as a spotlight to shine the way on the Savior, to point the way, and to illustrate and teach us what's going on. Even in that, though, he didn't write it in a neon flashing sign. He put a star there. An invitation for those who have eyes to see to come and discover the Savior. Consider the Savior. Once the Savior shows up, the Savior grew up. And once the Savior grew up and Jesus began his public ministry as a man, he showed full command of the living classroom that he inhabited. He had command of the wind. He had command of the waves. Consider when Jesus died on a cross that the earth shuddered. That creation went dark in response to the Son of God coming and taking on the sins of the whole world. Jesus told us that if those who were created in his image, that would be us, as Rob pointed out, we're part of all of creation, that the very rocks would cry out in praise. Don't rob God of his glory, nor you of great joy, by simply missing the living illustration going around you all the time in creation. There's this ongoing parable God is telling through creation. Today, spring has bloomed. Think about spring. Dawn has awakened. Birds call and flutter about. Resurrection is celebrated, not only with joyful songs and colorful dresses, but with Christians calling out to one another. To, to one another. He is risen. In spring, all things are made new. Hope abounds. Confidence and possibility soar. And as we've already said, that earth and rock and sky and sea and plants and animals lead the chorus and sing the loudest and we join in with all of that. Author Mark Buchanan says, Jesus reserves his deepest intimacy in winter, but he displays his greatest handiwork in spring. Listen to Psalm 65. Psalm 65, we have the great creator and gardener and just the sounds of spring. It says this, the grasslands of the wilderness become a lush pasture and the hillside blossoms with joy. The meadows are clothed with flocks of sheep and the valleys are carpeted with grain. They all shout and sing for joy. Some of you perhaps have read the Chronicles of Narnia as a kid. Maybe you've reread them to your kids. Um, there were some movies made. They did pretty well at the box office. Maybe you've seen that. And what you know about the Chronicles of Narnia is this, that it's, it's always winter and never what? Never Christmas, right? And so the land is under a curse. The, the land is, is held in this vice grip of winter at all times. And then there's this whispering, there's these rumors happening that the great King Aslan is on the move. And creation is evidence of that. Do you remember the scene in the movie? It's, it's written really well by C.S. Lewis. But in the movie, what happens is spring begins to blossom and it begins to come to fruition. And it happens so quickly and so abundantly and in such great measure that it's just absolutely marvelous. And what's powerful is we get to experience that all the time. And it's not movie magic. It happens in front of our own faces. 
What does the heart look like in spring? Here's what the heart looks like. The heart in spring is hard at work. The heart in spring is industrious and joyful about it. They're hopeful about what the seeds that they plant now might yield at a future time. There's a joy that oozes out of the heart in spring that is sort of unstoppable and it's infectious. And the idea of possibility runs rampant. If I could sort of boil down the heart in spring, it would be this, that they are utterly confident, certain. And it's not a self-confidence. It's confident in the God who brought about the harvest last year. It's confidence in a God who saw them through winter. It's the heart that says, I know these things to be true, and they look ahead. What we're going to do this morning is I'm going to show you an entire category of psalms. We're not going to look at all of them, but they are called confidence psalms. It's sort of one of the categories. Last week, we looked at lament. And by the way, lament is the largest category of psalms in the whole 150 chapters, which says something about the way God gives us voice to call out our complaint. But confidence songs sound an awful lot like Thanksgiving psalms, but instead of looking back on God's wondrous deeds, which is an act of the fall harvest, remember, it's pausing and giving thanks for all that God has done. Instead, it's calling out and looking ahead and celebrating and thanking God for things he will do, utterly confident that they will come true. What's interesting as we read some of these psalms, and as I give you a few more that you can look up on your own, you can hear the traces of winter. They, they, are, they are most often born out of a season where enemies are pressing in on every side, where there's terror, where there's questioning, and where there's doubt, and where there's dryness. And out of that springs these songs of confidence. We're not going to take the time to read it, but probably the best-known psalm worldwide would be Psalm 23. Psalm 23 is a great spring song. The ultimate comfort that comes from confidence in a God who can. A God who can provide for. A God who can protect. A God who can lead. A God who can fight and comfort. Why is Psalm 23 such a beloved psalm? Because we see God portrayed as the abundantly capable shepherd. And it pictures us as a part of his flock. Sheep in the restful care of our Savior. So there's no fill-ins. This is part of the series. I have refrained from giving you fill-ins and homework and all of that. All of you can put your pens and pencils down, your iPads down if you like. We're going to hear a lot of scripture read. Some of you are note takers. I would have my pencil up. You're allowed to do that, by the way. If you want to jot down anything, jot down four words. First of all, we're confident in a God who will clean. Now, some of you are unaware of this, but spring cleaning is a thing. Sometimes you get a bee in your bonnet and you clean crazily in the middle of fall, but there's something universal about springtime that, that the world over just says now is the time to clean and to dust things off and to go at it. We have this way in our family of ignoring our yard all winter and then just tackling it with a vengeance on some spring Saturday. Yard waste is mounted high out in front of our house. There's raked muck. We've cleared out the debris that winter neglect brings on. 
We have barbecues and bikes that have been hibernating and hunkered down under tarps and hiding in sheds. And they come out and we scrub them clean and we start to use them again. It's the signs of spring. When God is on the move, there's this, there's this moral revival that goes on. There's this passion for purity in a person's heart. In the spring season, people are appalled because of sin. First their own and then others. I can tell when you are in spring season. Because these things take place. You come up and you are, you are just marveling that we don't have prayer services seven days a week. You say, Pastor, great sermon, but it was way too short. I wanted more of that. Give us more. And when you sing, they're singing with, with, with gusto and confidence in it. You are, you are wide awake and aware of the helpless and hopeless that are all around us. And you come to me w- without any note of resentment or bitterness or sadness, but with utter joy and a shock that everyone doesn't see it this way. Why aren't we doing more to help those who are helpless? Why aren't we doing more to extend hope to those who are hopeless? Whole churches can kind of enter into a season of spring together. And it's a fun thing to see. What sounds really trite and causes groans in the middle of a winter heart can sound downright profound and cause audible agreement when your heart is in spring. Same phrase in winter, same phrase in spring, but but it creates different things. God works all things together for good. Don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. The heart in spring says, wait, that's good. Repeat that. I go, look, just go to Philippians 4. You can read it yourself. Don't lean on your own understanding. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. In the winter times, those can feel burdensome. In the spring times, they go, yes, and they call it out. Spring has sprung in that person's heart. Listen to these songs. Turn to Psalm 24. I mentioned Psalm 23 already. Psalm 24 says this. Remember, spring cleaning. God has given us a passion for holiness. It's a renewed moral awakening. Verse 3, it says this. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. Who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. By the way, we like to call out when we're singing scripture. That's a song called Give Us Clean Hands. We sing those lyrics. It's it's one of the psalms. Flip over a few pages to Psalm 15. Psalm 15 is another Famous one of these sort of spring songs, passion for purity. Verse 1 starts this way, O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? He who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart, who does not slander with his tongue and does no evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against his friend. In whose eyes a vile person is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord, who swears to his own hurt and does not change, who does not put out his money at interest and does not take a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things shall never be moved. 
The spring season makes us hungry for what is true and what is noble and what is honorable and what is right. If God's at work, here's what happens. Our first repulsion is at our own sin. It's not people out there. It's at our own sin, our own brokenness, our own neediness. Listen to Psalm 51. This is David after he sinned with Bathsheba and God brought him out of that into spring. He says, have mercy on me, O God. Blot out my transgression. Listen for the spring cleaning words. Wash away my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgression and my sin are always before me. Verse 7, cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit in me. Look at me for a minute. Hear this really clearly. Our only hope to fulfill the demands of who can dwell in the tent of God, who can ascend his holy hill, is not in us in our perfect record. The one being described in here, you ought to be recognizing it, is Jesus Christ. Jesus lived the pure life. The whole point of the resurrection, the whole point of the cross, is the substitutionary death of Jesus. That he took the punishment that we deserve, and we get in on God's A-plus perfect resume. That is how we are made clean. Jesus was clean, and we are made clean because of his actions. 1 John 1, 7 is a verse you should memorize, 7 through 10. It says this, if we walk in the light, the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Isn't it one thing to be forgiven? The judge acquits you and says not guilty, but you could walk out of that courtroom and you know what you've done. You know what you've failed to do. The reason there is unfettered joy in the heart and life of a Christian is because God washes us clean. He allows us to start over. He purifies us and blots out our sin. The soul in spring is consumed with clean. There's a second characteristic of a soul in spring, and that is they have things dawning on them afresh all the time. There is an awakening. Listen to these songs about being confident in a God who will awake us. Psalm 112, starting in verse 4, says this. Light dawns in the darkness for the upright. Just let that line sink in for a second. Light dawns in the darkness for the upright. That's the picture of awakening. He is gracious, merciful, and righteous. It is well with the man who deals generously and lends, who conducts his affairs with justice. For the righteous will never be moved. He will be remembered forever. He is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. Do you hear where the confidence is placed? His heart is steady. He will not be afraid until he looks in triumph on his adversaries. 
Just oozing out of this psalm, you can hear the confidence of the psalmist. You can hear that the confidence is placed in God. Spring brings not only moral revival, but spiritual awakening. Let's go back to God's living classroom for a second. Consider this reality. Every single day that you have ever been alive, and every single day that you will be alive for, begins with a sunrise. Whether you see it or not, whether you observe it or not, it is there. And with the sunrise brings beauty and possibility. It's almost like there's a spring that happens every 24 hours. The long night is over. The inactivity is done. The loneliness abated. The warmth and light of the sun return after an absence. And to put sort of this fine point on it, in Lamentations 3, it says that God's mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Every morning, there is a spring-like renewal that goes on. Spring is when the impossible becomes the inevitable. It gives testimony to this great spring that will occur one day. Spring is when hope bursts out of despair. When we find life, even in the midst of the darkest death. We see rivers of joy where before there had only been depressing desert. Turn over to Psalm 57. Let me give you a portion of one more spring song. And I pray that as I read it, you will read this in your heart and we can sort of join together with what the psalmist is saying. Psalm 57 verse 5 says this, Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. They set a net for my steps. My soul was bowed down. They dug a pit in my way, but they have fallen into it themselves. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. Awake, my glory. Awake, O harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. For your steadfast love is great to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Now, I can't mention spring without resurrection. We're confident in a God who will resurrect Springtime brings the consolation of hope. It gives us the assurance that death has, in fact, lost its sting. Psalm 16, verse 1 says this, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, You are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. And then down to verse 7, he says, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to shale or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. 
Now, one of the things that we know is that as we look back and read in the Old Testament, we're reading the lives and histories and words of people who knew a lot less than we did. They don't have the advantage of looking back on the New Testament. They don't have the advantage of walking the earth with Messiah and seeing the events that took place. They didn't walk when the church was born at Pentecost. Pre-Jesus, the picture is far from complete. What we see is we have men and women hearing God's call and following Him and trusting them. And they walk in incredible faith And yet, as Hebrews 11 says, none of them received what God had promised. For God had something better in mind so that they would not reach perfection without us. Now there's a mystery to God's whole plan. But what you see is that if you look at the Old Testament, they acted in faith and they died without having seen the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The advent of Messiah hadn't happened yet. And in God's sort of big grand plan, what you see is that we play a part in completing the story that he's writing. Listen to the confidence of restoration and resurrection from Psalm 27. Or I'm sorry, uh, sorry, Psalm 71. Psalm 71 says this, starting in verse 20. You have allowed me to suffer much hardship. Remember I said these spring songs? You can hear some of them. They're just moving out of winter into spring. The herd is fresh. The remembrance of the hardship is right there. You have allowed me to suffer much hardship, but you will restore me to life again and lift me up from the depths of the earth. You will restore me to even greater honor and comfort me once again. I can't help but wonder if some of what the psalmist is, is sensing, part of why the hope is there, is that this psalmist witnesses spring year after year after year. And seeing that, uh, life coming from sort of the unlikeliest places. Any of you do yard work in spring and marvel at how you can't get your lawn in the front to grow, but in the cracks of your sidewalk there's grass galore? That's bizarre. As I get older, this might be too much information, but what happens is um, hair emerges from places on your body that you don't really want. I don't want hair coming out of my nose or my ears. And for those of you who are going bald, it's like me and my front lawn. I want it to grow here. And it's emerging elsewhere. (laughs) What's the deal? When you see blades of grass pushing through in the most unlikeliest of places... Let it be a teaching. God is over every ounce of life. Every blade of grass he calls forth. Every baby born. He's in control of the womb. He's in control of everyone who's been born again. Who comes to life. And it's a a picture when you see that and you're trying to get rid of it. And the weed killer isn't working. It's a picture that just says, wow, life can emerge from the darkest, most unlikely place. In fact, really it can't be stopped. If God says life is going to happen there, life is going to happen there. We hope not only in the promise of all things being made new, but Christians also hope for and are certain about something else. We're certain that all things will be made right. What I want you to do is I want you to imagine with me, and you're gonna, you can turn to Romans 8 if you'd like. I'm going to put it on the screen for you. 
But a great spring is prophesied all through God's specific revelation, namely the Bible. And not only is a great spring prophesied through the scriptures, a great spring is prophesied through his general revelation, that is creation. That if we're paying attention to blades of grass showing up where we cannot believe it's happening, and when we realize we can't hold spring, and we realize that spring happens whenever God demands that it happens, and not a day or moment sooner, then we give testimony to it it stirs something in our heart that there is this great spring coming true look at the screen or follow along in your scriptures or just close your eyes and listen to this about the vindication that's going to come paul writes this for i consider that the 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 sufferings of the present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us for the creation waits with eager longing for the, revel- for, for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies, for in this hope we were saved. One day, friends, all things will be made right. God will set the wrongs and make it Right, The righteous ones who in this life were the least and the last and the mocked and the ignored will be ruling sons and daughters with the great king. Not only that, your bodies are going to be redeemed. I decided to bring up my sunflower seeds from Easter this year. We handed these out to everyone and this sits right below my monitor in my office as a reminder. Our bodies were planted like a little seed. And in the same way that a tiny seed is fairly unimpressive, it goes in the ground, and that small, meager effort of that body, whatever it is, it bursts forth to life into something magnificent and spectacular. Is it the same? Sort of. It's the same, but completely different. It's the same as a seed versus a sunflower being held in your hand. And that there's coming a great spring when God is going to redeem the things that are unseen to everyone else today. Part of vindication is the public declaration of things being made right. I want you to turn to one final passage. Turn over to Psalm 135. In Psalm 135, what you hear is a call to worship. And then you hear this promise of wrongs being righted. Psalm 135 And I'll start in verse 3. There's two more verses ahead of it that are a call to worship. Praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. Sing to his name, for it is pleasant. For the Lord has chosen Jacob for himself, Israel as his own possession. For I know that the Lord is great and that our Lord is above all gods. Skip down to verse 13. Your name, O Lord, endures forever. Your renown, O Lord, throughout all ages. For the Lord will vindicate his people and have compassion on his servants. 
The idols of the nations are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak. They have eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear. Nor is, is there any breath in their mouths. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. O house of Israel, bless the Lord. You could jot down if you want Psalm 17, Psalm 26. If you look at vindication and kingly psalms in the book of Psalms, what you understand is this. It's a reminder for us, friends, that we're only partway into the story. We must be nearing the end, but we're only partway into the story. The final chapter hasn't been written yet. I want to invite the band to come on up. And they're going to sing for us a song called Spring is Coming. And as they do, we're going to get to the activities of the seasons next week. That's how we're going to wrap it up. But here's my little parting thought for us in terms of what should I do in this spring season. Here it is. Ready? Plant something. I'm not a green thumb. In fact, I would be described as a red pinky, I believe, because I kill plants. My wife and I murder plants. We grow children. We, do, we think that's a good priority. We're okay with that. So when it comes to planting things, here's what I can marvel at. I can marvel at those of you who can just make things grow. You're dialed in and understand things and know how it all works. What I can do is I can appreciate the miracle of seed going into soil and for miracles happening and for something to emerge that, that with relatively small amounts of effort, giant abundant harvest can come from it. So while I stink at actual planting something, what God's made me good at and what I love to do is I love to plant ministry ideas. I love to plant new things in the spring of the heart. I can think of different seasons we've had. Some of you were here when we walked through. We had a giant map of the whole Santa Clara County. And we had this little effort called Pray in May. It just so happened to fall in the spring season. But our church was just in this mode of sort of spring-like renewal. And we all took a block. We said, we will pray around our city block over every household on our street, recognizing that souls that are made in God's image and are precious to Him and have struggles and complaints, we're going to, on behalf of them, pray God's blessing on them. And if God opens the door for us to make introductions, if God opens the door for us to care and extend ourselves beyond just walking by their house and praying, then so be it. We are ready for it. And as a church, we planted in hope seeds of prayer. I'll tell you what I love doing. I love taking you who are in the spring season of the heart, and you come to me and you say, Dave, why aren't we doing anything about this? And this isn't me just wanting to put work on you. I say, it sounds like God is raising that up in you. Let's dream together. You have a church leadership that loves to ask the question, why not? Instead of why all the time. Why kills dreams? Why kills new ideas? So there have been many times over the past many years or ministries have just born, been born up. Why? Because people are walking in the Spirit. People are being obedient to the things that God is putting in front of them. And they're just saying steps of yes. They're just walking into that. There's so many ministries that don't show up on our website. In fact, most things we're doing 
They don't show up on our website. They aren't officially an NBC ministry. You know what they are? They are ministries that God has put on the priesthood of all believers. And ministries that we couldn't possibly start at your place of work because we'd get kicked out. You're starting and doing. Ministries that don't demand an entire arm, you know, army of people, but require you to sort of nudge in next to someone who's hurting, you're doing that. And there's prayer coverage, and there's coaching, and there's an encouragement, and there's resources that are provided that way. Let me invite you and challenge you. Maybe you don't know if you're a green thumb or not. Maybe you just plant something. Maybe not now, because it would probably die. If you want to plant a lawn, come to my house. It would be a true miracle if it, if it took root. But maybe in the next spring that rolls around, you actually plant something physically. Maybe if you're in that spring season of the heart, you would just say, God, I, I'm wide open. I'm utterly confident that you will produce. What should I plant? What should I step into? Let's pray. God, I thank you for the seasons. I thank you, God, that brothers and sisters in this room can walk in harmony when some are in the winter and some are in summer. And we can recognize and hold fast to the reality. God, you made both of those seasons, not only in our physical external world, but you lead us in those seasons internally. God, we can't put a spring in our step if we're in winter. We can hold your hand and we can pray and trust that you will lead us out of winter when the time is right. God, for those who are in the spring of the heart, I pray that the renewal, the spring cleaning that goes on, the utter confidence of things that you will do would come out of our mouth in song as we participate, would unify, would actually stir in the hearts of those who are in the middle of winter right now. Maybe a faint memory of remembering, oh yeah, I've been there before. Maybe God will get me out of this darkness too. Thank you for psalms that give voice to this. Amen.